welcome to the cool air-conditioned gym. Yes, on a hot, muggy, almost July day. Can you believe that? I'm Holly Worsley. I'm one of the elders here at Lake Forest, and it's a joy to be with you, and it's a joy to look at God's Word with you today together. Let me pray for us before we jump in. Father God, thank you that you wrote and gave us your story in the word that's full of really broken people. That gives me hope, Lord. It gives me hope that um, you can take a broken person like me, you can take a broken people like all of us that sit in this room today and not, um, not say you're hopeless, but say, I'm so hopeful about what I'm going to do with your life. Thank you that that's your story, God, that you're so very hopeful about what you're going to do with each of our lives. God, would you fill us with that hope this morning and give us the courage to honestly and truly look at our lives and our stories under the umbrella of your great love for us. We ask and pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, my son, Will, um, loves theater, loves music. He was actually just playing the keyboards over there. And when he was a high school student at the Community School of Davidson, they did Lin-Manuel Miranda's first play, which was In the Heights. And he fell so in love with that play. He was so moved by um, Lin-Manuel's ability to write, to use words, to tell a story, to make it come alive, that he came home and he said, Mom, listen, I've heard he's working on a second one. It's about Alexander Hamilton. Now, at this point, I'm thinking, how in the world is that guy going to rap about Alexander Hamilton? Like, I can't even imagine it. But Will was so excited about it that his birthday was about six months away. So we went ahead and bought tickets for what we now just refer to as Hamilton before anybody knew it was going to be awesome. So we got him dirt cheap. Yeah, you're jealous. I know. We got him dirt cheap, and it was awesome. But I realized as I sat and watched Hamilton— that that man had a gift with words, has a gift with words. And then I read something that was posted online this week that Will also showed me and realized that he had actually always had a gift with words because this is a series of letters that he wrote home to his mom and dad from summer camp. He was eight years old. He was eight years old, and he, he said, I love New York. I love the city. I love everything about it. But apparently when he was eight years old, he was spending too much time in the summer sitting only in front of the TV. And so his parents said, you need to get out in the wilderness. We're sending you to summer camp. So day two, here's the letter he writes to his mother. Dear mom and dad, I am in my second day of camp. I have made good friends and all, but so far I've had a fever of 101 and scraped my knee. I received your two letters while writing this. Love, Lynn. Second letter, dear family, hi, remember me? I'm the kid you ditched in the woods for a month. You know how we hardly ever go to mass? Well, I go every week. Here's a picture of, of me to remind you of me. Note that it's a kid falling off a building to his death. Okay, letter number three to his mother. I know the dad was there too, but this is, this is about a mama's heart receiving these letters, okay? Dear mom and dad, call me at this number. You're loud. 
You remember the kid two years ago who was born in the same hospital as me? He's in my tent. And his mom called him last year. It's true. But say it's important. Don't forget the area code. Good tip. The kids here tease me and call me Carmen, Miranda. Maybe if you talk to me in person, I can convince you to take me from here. <laughs> Love your son, Lynn. Now, at age eight, the man had already harnessed the power of words. At age eight, he had already figured out that he could use words to manipulate, to bring guilt. Because here's what's happening with his mom on the other end of the letter. Oh my gosh, honey, did we do the wrong thing? Tears, crocodile tears. Pick up the phone, no, be strong, put down the phone. Pick up the phone, no, be strong, put down the phone. She's not sleeping. She, she's miserable. You think he's miserable? She is miserable. At age eight, he had already discovered that words have great power. Words have great power, friends. They have the power to heal, and they have the power to hurt. They have the power to encourage, and they have the power to crush. They have the power to bring life, and they have the power to bring death. We're in a series where we're looking at an Old Testament book called Proverbs. And the major focus of Proverbs is wisdom. How do you and I, in our everyday lives, get wisdom? How do we become wiser people? How do we live as more wise people? A friend of mine uh, actually reads Proverbs every January because it has the same amount of Proverbs as the days in the month. And then she laughed and said, and I do it again in July because by then I need a big time refresher. <laughs> so you might pick it up. It's almost July. You might pick it up and start with the first proverb. Because Proverbs is saturated with wisdom. It was written by several different authors, but the primary contributor was King Solomon. And this is what I think is so fascinating. King Solomon followed his dad, um, King David, to the throne of Israel. And, and before he took the throne... He had an encounter with God. We don't know if it was a vision or a prayer or how they exactly interchanged, but he said, God, I need your wisdom. I think he was scared. He was intimidated. He was following King David, the great King David that united all of God's people. He was following his dad, and he was intimidated, and he said he had enough wisdom to ask for God's wisdom. He said, God, would you just give me wisdom? to lead your people well. And God says, oh, yes, because you ask for wisdom and not for riches and not for victory over your enemies and not for gold, you'll be wise. Oh, you'll be so wise. You'll be the wisest man who's ever lived. But hear this, friends. When we read Proverbs, when we let it wash over us, like the words, the wisdom just wash over us in our lives, it's not Solomon's wisdom. It's not my wisdom. It's wisdom from God to you and to me. It's wisdom about how do I do this life, God? How do I deal with friends? How do I heal from heart wounds? How do I tell the truth when I really want to lie? How do I do marriage well? Who do I marry? How in the world do I raise these kids well? 
How do I deal with fear and loneliness and God, I need direction? It's all there, friends. It's God's wisdom washing over us that we can absorb into our minds and hearts and soul. Chris Pratt won recently the MTV Generation Award. And he's a very, very funny guy, and he loves God, and he stood up and he gave sort of nine points about life, most of which were totally goofy and funny. And then he said this. He, he, he was hilarious and funny, and then he just stopped and he said, by the way, you have a soul. He said, you have a soul, and every person you encounter in this life has a soul. A friend of mine said she had two people this week say to her, what does that mean, I have a soul? So I want to say to you this morning, if no one's ever said to you before, you have a soul, and we need to take care of it. But every person you encounter in this life also has a soul. And we also have a will. And we will will. We make choices all day, every day with our wills as to whether we will give life to that person's soul that we encounter or whether we'll injure that person's soul that we encounter. We have the power with our words we're talking about today to bring life are hurt to the souls of the people that we interact with every day. So at this point, you might be thinking, oh great, I talk about words. I'm not ever talking again. Or you might be thinking, man, I wish so-and-so was here because they really need to hear this. So let me just start us at the right place. We are all going to mess this up. We are. We're all going to mess up. So here's our goal. I want to give us a goal that we can, we, can, we can hit. Here it is. Our goal is to become more and more rooted in God's love for me and increasingly more and more free of sin. And sin, I'm going to define this way, not my wisdom, someone else's, which is the malfunctioning part of me that is opposed to love. So here's my goal. Here's my goal for you and my goal for me as we talk about these really, really tough things. God, help us to be more and more rooted in your love, believing that you love us and drawing the strength to change and become and live and interact from your love. Help us to be more and more deeply rooted in that. And help me to be, as I go through this life, more and more increasingly free of these sins, these these malfunctioning parts in me. That's our goal. Now let's look at Proverbs. Here are some of the ways that our speech needs to improve. Some of us almost only speak criticism. Some of us struggle with angry words. Some of us gossip as a way of life. Some of us lie it just rolls off the tongue. It's literally how we live. Some of us flirt and mislead people and hurt hearts. Some of us live a life boasting so that we feel valuable and important. Some of us speak flattery in our words and not sincere, true words. Some of us go through life as a victim. 
It's all about me. I'm the only one hurting in this world. And some of us cannot stop complaining. When you see that list, given the, the wisdom from Solomon that, that came from directly from God, when you see that list, where do you go, ooh, yeah, I got to work on that one. Because you're there somewhere. If you can't see it, if it hasn't like pit, pricked in your heart already, then ask God, God, would you show me, where am I in that list? Because, friends, we are a society. America is a society that has become reckless with our words. Reckless means without thinking or caring about the consequences of an action. We utter words in our nation under the guise of freedom of speech, under the guise of the freedom that we live in, that are reckless. We utter words without caring or thinking about the consequences that who I am speaking to, that person has a soul. And I can not only injure your soul, I can injure mine as I injure yours. Or I can breathe life into yours and I can grow God's love in mine. When you think about it, there are very few neutral things that we say to each other. Sit in that for a minute. There's very little that I can say to you when I interact with you that's neutral, right? I mean, even if I say, hey, I like your shirt, you're thinking, what, you didn't like the one I wore yesterday? What's that, right? I'm usually either breathing life, giving hope, pouring encouragement, joy, or I'm hurting, I'm injuring, to be reckless is to not care. So I want to raise through God's wisdom in the writings of Solomon, I want to raise our awareness of this today. And, and we might do pretty good at church, but how are we doing at the office? How are we doing at Target? How are we doing with the annoying neighbor? How are we doing at school? How are we doing when we're in a, when we're in a really, really big hurry and that person just interrupted me? And I want to reach for the wisdom in Proverbs and just Raise our awareness from the wisdom of God to us. I'm going to pick on three in the list. It's not because they're the worst. It's because we don't have time for them all. We are reckless when we lie. I'm going to pick on lying. We're reckless when we lie. Friends, we have an epidemic in our society of lying. It's not even considered wrong anymore by most people. It's considered a tool to be used a tool to be used to get what you want in this life. A tool to be used to get ahead. Here's what Proverbs says about lying. Food gained by fraud tastes sweet to the man or woman, but he ends up with a mouthful of gravel. It's actually kind of funny to read it like that. Why do we lie? Why do we? Because we don't want to deal with pain. We don't want to deal with pain, so we lie. I mean, if, if a wife says to her husband, hey, honey, does this look good on me? Okay, that one might not be fair. Um, um, <laughs> right, Bill? That's just not fair. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you look great. Thank you, honey. Um, if someone says, I wanna hey, you want to hang out? You want to come over for dinner? You want to grill out? You want to grab some coffee? And you don't like them. <laughs> As a matter of fact, they get on your nerves, like your last nerve, Right? What's so easy to come rolling off your mouth? Oh, I'd love to lie, but I have to work. Lie. 
I'd love to, but my parents won't let me. Lie. Because you don't want to deal with someone that's hard for you to deal with. Because you know what that would require? It would require God. You'd have, you'd need God to love them well, to put up with them, to spend time with them, to care for them, because there wasn't enough of you to care for this person that you didn't like. You would have to change. Or maybe, maybe it's because you don't want to have a tough conversation. You don't want to have the conversation that has to say, hey, here's where I'm honestly struggling in our relationship, in our friendship, in our working relationship, whatever it is. You don't want to have that conversation because that would require that you and that person both have to talk about tough stuff. And so in an effort to avoid pain, you just lie. Maybe it's because, maybe we lie because we don't think it's hurting anyone. That's a big one, isn't it? It's not hurting anyone. Okay, there is a research and proven (laughs) truth that just before midterms, a lot of grandmothers die. Okay? Now, students are not actually knocking off their grandmothers and wrapping them, you know, and doing away with them. It's a study that was done by Mike Adams, a biologist at Eastern Kentucky I mean, Connecticut State University, he collected data for 20 years. It would have taken me about one semester to come to the same results. That says this, a grandmother is 10 times more likely to die before a student's midterm. Okay, you can laugh because you realize they're not really dying, right? Okay, and ready? 10 times more likely to die before a student's midterm. They're 19 times more likely to die before a final exam. He has actually seen students write fake obituaries for their granny, put it online in case their professor checked. It's okay to lie. I mean, it's not hurting anybody. I mean, maybe granny. She might get a little scared, but it's not really hurting anybody. Or maybe we just want something. Maybe we lie because we want something and we're willing to taint our character and our soul to get it. See, proverb, that proverb ends with a mouthful of gravel. You'll end up, you think, oh, man, that tastes sweet. Like, I got away with it. Nobody knew I was alive, and they didn't know I was alive. They don't know I don't like them. They didn't know I wasn't busy. They didn't know Granny's not in the ground, right? I got away with it. It tastes sweet. Proverb says, you end up with a mouthful of gravel. You know what that is? That's weight in your soul. The person who's getting hurt is foremost and first you. Your soul is being weighted down with a sickness. Your soul is being weighted down with a heaviness and a guilt and lies upon lies, and you're carrying them around like this. Your soul is being injured. What tastes sweet for a minute is having an impact and life in your soul. Let's pick on another one. We're reckless when we gossip. Proverbs, the wisdom from God says this, a perverse perverse man stirs up dissension and a gossip separates close friends and families. A violent man or woman entices his neighbor and leads them down a path that is not good. Friends, we gravitate towards affinity. We want to be with people that are like me, that have my personality that tell me I'm funny or smart or important in this world, that have the same beliefs as me. We gravitate towards affinity because it means we don't have to change. 
when I'm with people that think I'm great, that are just like me, it requires nothing of me. But remember what God's goal is for us, ready? To become more rooted in God's love for me and increasingly more and more free of sin, which is the malfunctioning part of me that's opposed to loving your soul. God's goal for us is that we are more rooted in his love and more than given the power by him to love, even the people we don't like that are going to require that I change somehow, that I reach for God somehow, increasingly more free of sin. Think about who, who Jesus picked to be the closest people to him for three years. The very closest people who he would pour literally God's wisdom into their life, changing them and shaping them. Think about who they were. Peter, he was a fisherman. Okay, but he was also a rabbi reject. So if you weren't smart enough or gifted enough to be taught by the rabbis in their ways, they rejected you, and you went back and did what daddy did. Peter's dad was a fisherman. Peter was a fisherman. He was a rabbi reject. Then there was a doctor. Then there was a zealot who wanted to, with arms, overthrow the Roman government and thought that's what Jesus was doing. And then there was a guy who worked for the Roman government, and people considered to be a sellout because he was hurting his own people. Jesus picked diversity. He picked diversity because he wanted to change these men from the inside out. He wanted to put them in places where it would require God for them to love well. Where they would have to say they were sorry and they were wrong. They would have to allow God to alter them and, and be becoming their whole lives he wanted them to know the real love of God. So he picked vastly diverse people and threw them all together for three years. A woman who was a minister that I respect so very deeply told a story about being recently in a Bible study a couple of years ago. And she said, I was in this Bible study and there was a woman in this study named Sue. And she was so black and white, right? Like everything was either right or wrong and, and just so legalistic. And she always talked too much and she always talked first. And she was just driving me crazy. So I did the really, really healthy thing of having the meeting after the meeting. And I went to someone in the group and I was like, man, doesn't she drive you crazy? I think something's wrong with her. And that woman said back to me, I, you know what? I don't actually see her that way. So then she took it a step further, and she got in the car, and she complained to God. God, she is driving me nuts. I mean, will you move in her? Will you change her? Will you do something to fix this problem in our study? And she gossiped about this woman to God. Why do we gossip? Look at Proverbs 18, wisdom from God. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels because it feels good. They go down to a man's innermost parts. I am satisfied just for a moment when I say something bad about you because it makes me feel more important. It makes me feel more important that I'm a better person than you, that I have it more together than you. I gossip because for just a second it makes my soul feel good and then it begins to kill my soul. So they had that same Bible study the next week. And the man that was leading it said, would you bring your yearbooks from high school? 
And so they did. They brought their yearbooks, and they had a lot of good laughs about their pictures and a lot of stories, you know, and, and a, lot of, um, a lot of recounting. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe we did that. And Sue was completely quiet. Sue, the black and white, talks too much. She was completely quiet. Everybody else had spoken, and finally, she slowly began to speak. She was fighting back tears. She said, in high school, life was so difficult at home that the best thing about getting up in the morning was knowing that I could leave my home. And at school, I didn't really fit in anywhere. I felt like a pinball bouncing off all the groups of people in my high school, never really fitting in anywhere. People were friendly, but they weren't inclusive. And so I quite literally grew up my entire life feeling that nobody ever really knew me or loved me. My friend said she rode home that night, and she heard God whisper to her, how many times, how many times will you have to hear somebody's story before you realize there's always a reason? There is always a reason why they act the way they do. It's come from somewhere, and they need love. They need friendship. They need inclusion, not gossip. Brene Brown says, the more we listen to each other's stories and the more those stories break our hearts, the bigger our hearts get. Friends, we are reckless when we gossip. Pick on a third one. We are reckless when we do the wrong thing with our anger. When we do the wrong thing with it. Friends, when we love deeply, we're going to feel anger deeply. I mean, the person at McDonald's that's rude to you, you might get angry for a minute, but that's not going to linger for like months, probably, unless they poured their coffee on you. But someone that you love, your spouse, your best friend, your child, you love them so much. When they hurt you, it's a rage. It's, a, it's an enormous anger. It's a deep anger. So let me say this. Love and anger go together. Love, anger is not a sin. You're going to feel anger. What you do with it may be a sin. This is what Proverbs says. Better a patient man than a warrior. A man who, or woman who controls their temper than one who takes a city so Solomon is living in a time where there are a bunch of city-states. Imagine all these little fortresses near each other, and each of these cities had walls because walls were the way to protect your city. And so he is saying, a man that takes a city is a great man. Oh my gosh, he's a leader, he's important, he's valuable, he's awesome. And he's nothing compared to a man that can hold his tongue that cannot let anger get the best of them. The Bible says the tongue is like fire. It scorches. It says the tongue is like the tiny rudder on a massive ship. The tongue, this tiny rudder, can turn this enormous ship. That's the power that it has. It says with our tongue we can murder So I'm sure you know that everybody plays a role in a family. 
And I'm the oldest in my family of origin. And I've always been good with words. I'm terrible with numbers. If you let me do your taxes, you'll be in jail. But I'm good with roles, uh, words. And my role in my family of origin was to be the protector against what I thought was injustice. Or I perceived to be injustice at 15. And my weapon of choice? Words. Words of anger. Words of arguing. Words of taking you apart. Dismantling you. I was quite good at it. And I developed it for years. And after I came, I didn't know God then. And when I came to know God, I had to begin the incredibly hard journey of undoing all of those years of practice. I, I had years of, un, it was unconscious in my soul. I had to begin the incredible work of asking God, would you give me the strength and the new love and the different love to undo these ruts in my life that were developed apart from you, having nothing to do with you? Here's some things I've learned about anger. It escalates. So if you come at me angry, and I go back at you angry, it only escalates. It only goes up. It never, ever, ever goes down. It only escalates. Anger, here's the second thing. Anger is a secondary emotion. You're not really angry. You feel anger. But it's a secondary emotion. What you are really is hurt or embarrassed or lonely or, or you feel neglected. There's a root that's why you're angry. And you may not have ever, ever been honest with yourself about what that root is. You might have to look way back to find the root. But it's there and you're getting triggered because there's a root of pain and there are things in your life that will trigger it. And so God wants to work on the root, friends. He wants to work on the root, and it's safe to let him. It's safe to let him work on the root. You'll be okay. If you let him work on the root, you'll be okay. The first time I ever began to work on my anger was I was in college, and um, I, I had never read the Bible. I didn't know God, but I met some people that did know God, and I liked them. And a thirst to know God and want God began to come up in my life. And so I snuck out and I bought a Bible, and I sat in my dorm room when nobody else was there, and I do not recommend this reading plan, but I took the Bible, which I had never read, ever, and I said, God, I think you might be real. But I need to know because I had a, a whole truckload of stuff that's going to have to change if you're real and I let you lead my life. So I need to know if you're real. And I just, please show me, God. So I opened up that Bible and the first words I ever read, ever in the Bible, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And in that moment, in God's mercy to me, I said, God, I believe. 
Would you forgive me for my brokenness? And would you lead my life? And that was the beginning of God helping me to become more and more rooted in his love and less and less bound by these old ruts of sin and malfunction and brokenness in my life. It was the beginning, and I'm still very much on a journey to do that. So friends, look at our list again. There's some way that your speech needs to improve. That's just wisdom. Are you critical? Are you angry? Do you gossip? Do you lie? Do you flirt? Do you boast? Do you use flattery instead of love? Are you always the victim? Do you complain? Maybe you don't see yourself on that list, and all you need to do if you're courageous enough is say, God, would you show me? Would you show me? You might be thinking at this point, I am definitely never speaking again, ever. So let me say again, we're all going to mess this up. We are, but let me tell you where the power to do this comes from, and that's why I've been using the phrase rooted in love. Look at Ephesians 3 with me. Paul is praying this prayer for the people he was writing, and he's praying this prayer for us, and God is praying this prayer for us. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, that's all the riches of the God of the universe, that God will strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through what? Through faith. And I pray that you would be, here it is, ready, rooted and established in love. That you may have power from God together with all of the saints, that's each of us, to grasp, to even imagine how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ for you. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Friends, the strength to even look at these places in our life, the strength to be honest about these places in our life, and goodness knows the strength to begin to change and, and, and become better a little bit every day until we die. It only comes from God. I have never, ever made any progress in my life in any of these areas that did not come from God. I was stuck, completely stuck, before God came into my life that day on, on a bed in a dorm room, and he began to remake me. Rooted and established in God. His power. His courage. His grace. His forgiveness. Friends, reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. We live in a world that needs great healing. And if you're in Christ today, if you're following Jesus today, you have a power to heal. God has given you a power to heal. Where there's brokenness, you can offer encouragement. Where there's past pain, you can offer hope. Where there's loneliness, you can offer friendship. Where there's anger, you can offer grace. Where there's, you can be a healer. As a matter of fact, 
your highest calling is through his power and grace and forgiveness and love to be a healer in this broken world. You're going to get it wrong sometimes. But he's asking, would you, because of the grace that has been apportioned to you, the power that has been apportioned to you, the mercy that has been apportioned to you, the love and the forgiveness that has been apportioned to you, would you consider walking in this world and raising your awareness and being wise person that offers healing to the broken? Sometimes children do this better than we do. This is a picture of a little boy that was taken just after Officer Ferguson was not persecuted. It was at a, a chaotic rally. And this little guy came to this rally terrified, but, but this is the sign he made. Free hugs. Pass it on. And he was standing on the side of this rally with this sign of healing, with this sign of grace, with forgiveness and love and and this officer saw him over there and he was watching him for a while and then he he went up to the little guy and he said how's your summer tell me about your family i like your sign could i have one of those hugs friends we have the opportunity to speak words of death and hurt into each other's souls our life and hope. If you're in Christ today, if you follow Jesus, he would say, be a healer in my world. Right in your story, right where you are. Be a healer. Because there's so much brokenness. Let me pray for us. Father, I'm humbled by your forgiveness. I'm humbled that you took a really broken, messed up kid And you gave me life. And you're still in this room today offering life to each of us. Real life. Rooted and established in you. Real power. Real power from you to change. Real wisdom from you to know how to change. Real courage from you to have the strength and the courage to look at the places that are, that are roots, that are broken, and allow you into them. God, I thank you that your story is full of broken people, crazy broken people, that you used, you used them, their brokenness, not because of them, because of your grace and mercy and power and strength and forgiveness. You use broken people, but you don't leave us there. You don't leave us there, God. You want us to move to be more rooted, more rooted in you, and increasingly less captured and weighted down by sin. God, would we walk that path in courage until the day we die? Give us the courage, Lord. We pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.